Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We're going to be talking tonight about Ukraine and Russia, and I know many of you have been praying for Derek and Julie Thomas, and Derek and Julie were able to get out of Ukraine. They are now in California, uh, waiting God's will to get back. That's the place of God's calling for them, and their burden, of course, to see a church planted there in Kiev. Kiev, historically, is a place that uh, is very important to the Russian people. It's the place of uh, Russian culture. It's a place that, uh, of course, the uh, Ukrainian country, the Ukraine, is the great grain belt, if you will, of that part of the world. And if you're watching the news, and I trust you are, uh, these are times to pray uh, for peace in that region of the world but also times for us to open God's Word and to be asking the question, so, what does God have to say about Russia and Ukraine? We're opening our Bibles once again this evening to Ezekiel. Let's back up for just a moment to Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, Ezekiel chapter 36. And remember the promise of God that He has given in the 24th verse of Ezekiel chapter 36. God has said to Israel, I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. This, I believe, the Lord has been doing. Now, God could do it again. God could scatter Israel again and gather them again, but it's it's an amazing thing to witness, the regathering of people who for 2,000 years were scattered Is he speaking to Israel? Well, yes. Verse 22 says, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen, whither you went, and I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which you have profaned in the midst of them. The heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes, and I will take you from among the heathen. One of the great Russian czars asked his court theologian or his court minister generations ago for a proof of the truth of the Bible. And the court minister said, the Jew. That's a good answer. The truth of the proof of the Bible is seen in the nation of Israel And God's watch care over a very persecuted and very dispersed people and a people that are now back in their homeland. Today, we focus on what has swelled to be some 130,000 Russian troops along the Ukrainian border. And we ask the question, what's happening? Now we go to Ezekiel chapter 38. And this is the passage that we focused on the last time we gathered. And we read, and the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them. And say, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against thee, O Gog. The word Gog here is much like the word Pharaoh or king. He is the chief prince of Meshach. And I believe this word Meshach is modern day Moscow, and Tubal is modern day Tobolsk. And he says, I will will turn thee and put hooks in thy jaws. I will bring thee forth, all thine army, horses and horsemen, 
all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, Persia. Ancient Persia is modern-day Iran. In fact, as recently as 100 years ago, if you were studying the topography of the Middle East, you would have seen the name Persia. Today we see Iran. And today the news that the Iranian country has developed a new missile that can travel 900 miles, which is all the farther it needs to travel to hit Israel and to hit Israel hard. In fact, it's a missile that they say uh, can break through the Iron Dome of Israel. And so Iran is seeking to build uh, nuclear options and nuclear armaments. And here they are listed uh, with this king of the north, this Gog of Magog. And for millennia, there has been no alliance between Russia and Iran. But there is today an increasing alliance. And we see these nations coming together. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya is Libya. Uh, Modern-day Libya, same as here in the Scriptures. All of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all of his bands in the house of Togarma. This would be parts of Germany. And the north quarters and all of his bands and many people with thee. Back in the year 593 B.C., when Ezekiel was being inspired by God to write the passage that we're looking at tonight, he would have had no earthly idea that people in America in 2022 would be examining his writings. But the truth is they're God's writings, and God has the capacity to show us the future. And so the future is being revealed to Ezekiel. Ezekiel had been taken out of his homeland. As a captive, he was taken to the place that we know as Babylon or modern-day Iraq. He was there, made a political prisoner when God speaks to him. And now these 2,500 years later, we read a passage that is very relevant to the world in which we're presently living. Ezekiel 38 presents to us the nation of Israel regathered. They are regathered. For verse 8 says, After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years, and thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel. Israel today has been regathered. For over 2,000 years, Israel had been scattered, and now what would have seemed to have been impossible has become normal. And God used many things to bring Israel back together, but Ezekiel prophesied their regathering, and more than that, he prophesies their restoration. Brought back to that land, brought back from the sword, gathered together from many people. If you know the history of Israel, modern Israel, you know that the Zionist movement in the late 1800s, brought through World War I by the kindness of the Jewish people, in allying with the British, the Balfour Resolution or the Balfour Declaration, which gave access for the first time in almost 2,000 years for the Jews to go back and begin to resettle this area that is modern-day Palestine. And so they went back and began their resettling. Resolution 181 in 1947 from the United Nations recognized the world saying Israel can now have a homeland. And at that time, 
The nation of Israel was some 800,000 people. 1948, Israel almost didn't make it. Immediately having been declared by the United Nations, a place where they could have their home, uh, they found themselves in battle after battle after battle and always with the odds stacked against them. Except, you and God always make a majority. And God always protected them. The Jews are in Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 37, you can read about them, bones, them bones, them dry bones. The wonderful portrait that God gives of bringing them back. But something hasn't happened yet. Ezekiel 37 doesn't just talk about the dry bones coming back. Ezekiel 37 also talks about the wind blowing among the dry bones and giving Israel a spiritual revival. Today's modern Israel is a place of wonderment, but it's not a place of spiritual wonderment. It's a place of genealogical or national Israel gathering together, the people of God, biologically, if we will, or through the loins of Abraham, but spiritually not so much. When I was a college freshman, the Lord, by his kindness and providence, gave me a, a freshman roommate named Henry Mikael. Henry was Palestinian. His father had been the mayor of Ramallah, which is a headquarters place for the Palestinians. Henry was betrothed before he came to college. He wore his wedding ring on the opposite hand. He was an interesting fellow. If you ever wanted to see Henry's blood boil, just talk about the Jewish people. He despised the Jewish people. And we'd say as Christians, how could you do that and read your Bible? And he would answer this way. In kindergarten, they marched me out of my school at the end of their machine guns. They've run our family members out of their homes. When we speak of our affinity and our love for Israel, we don't want to do so with blinders. We understand that political Israel today has not seen the revival that God will one day bring, and we know that the book of Zechariah tells us that that revival in Israel will only come in the end times when they look upon the one uh, whom they pierced. That has not happened yet. But they are back in the land, and they are the preeminent piece of the prophetic puzzle. You'll never understand Bible prophecy unless you're able to understand that Israel is Israel. And we say it this way, Israel is Israel, and the church is the church, and the church is not Israel. And when you understand that, one-third of the Bible becomes far more easily understood. One-third of the Bible is prophetic. And we believe that the prophecies of the Bible can be understood literally. Why do we believe that? There are some who say, well, these prophecies about Israel back in the land, that's all figurative language about some spiritual work that God's doing. Maybe the dry bones of the church and the wind is Pentecost and they come allegorically. What causes us to say they're wrong? Why do we hold that biblical prophecy must be understood literally? Loy? That's exactly the best answer you can come to. Loy said, in the past, it's been answered literally. What God prophesied in the past has been literally fulfilled. So give me some literal prophecies that God said this, and this is what happened. He said this, and this is what happened. Can you think of some? The birth of Jesus, specifically, Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. He said, Bethlehem, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Give me another one. Back here, Mary. That he would be an Egyptian, or that okay. people call him Egyptian. 
Okay, so he'd be come out of, out of Egypt if I called my son. Matthew references that. And Jesus went down into Egypt with his uh, parents and came back. I heard another one here. From the line of David, that's Genesis chapter 49. Um, well, Genesis chapter 49 from Judah, uh, which again, and then in 2 Samuel, he speaks to David specifically and says that David's son will sit upon the throne. And so we're now seeing specific prophecies specifically answered. Can you give me another one? The crucifixion, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. So every time the Old Testament says it, it comes true literally. But there's a lot of prophecy that still hasn't been fulfilled, right? We're looking at some of that this evening. And this is what we have to start with. We believe in the literal fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Why? Because that's how God has always done it. And we don't change in midstream and say, well, now it's figurative, metaphorical, or allegorical. No, no, no. We believe in literal fulfillments of prophecy. And so, in Ezekiel 38... We have just read the first six verses about a northern axis of evil. A northern axis of evil. As Russia and her allies, we now can look at the intent that they have, the intent of this persecutor. This persecutor. Why are they coming? Why are they coming? Clearly, the end times are in view here. Verse 8. After many days, thou shalt be visited in the latter years. He's speaking about the end times. And I believe we're living in the precursor of the end of the end. We're living in the end times. We're living in the end of the age, if you will. And in those end times, we discover that there is a power coming from the north. In verse 6, Gomer and all her bands, the house of Togarma, and from the north quarters... Again, we go to verse 15, and we read, Thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts. Finally, in chapter 39 and verse 2, And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee, will cause thee to come up from the north parts. Well, what is north of Israel? There's a line. Israel is the darkened bottom of that line. Israel sitting there on the Mediterranean, that small little country about the size of New Jersey, due north, Russia. So yes, I believe we're talking about Russia in the passage before us this evening. And we ask the question tonight, so why do they come? Why this alliance, these nations that would include Persia, and parts of Germany, and Russia, and Libya? Why this alliance of these nations coming? And we look first at their desire. It's revealed here in the passage, in the 12th verse, to take a spoil, to take a prey. Verse 11, thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. There's no place on earth today more susceptible to attack than the Middle East. Much of the attention of the United Nations is focused on the Middle East and specifically on the land of Israel. Of course, the land of Israel, not only on the Mediterranean, a great uh, sea trading route, if you will, but also a land trading route uh, to come from 
the northern Africa all the way up to Russia and China by land. Uh, this is one of the easiest ways to come. It's an ancient traveling route. Israel is strategically placed. If Ezekiel were to say, said to us that the axis of evil was going to be Saudi Arabia or Kuwait, uh, had he said Iraq or the Arab Emirates were coming after Israel, we'd have all said, well, that kind of makes sense. It just seems like there's always this tension with these Arabic nations uh, round, round about Israel. But that's not what's happening here. The northern army is coming to take a spoil. So what might this spoil be? What are the riches of Israel that would cause the northern alliance to come down? Some people have talked about the Dead Sea. And if you uh, do a little uh, quick study on the Dead Sea, you'll find that the Dead Sea isn't so dead. Uh, naturally, there's nothing living in it, no uh, living uh, fish or things of that nature. But there are some things in the Dead Sea that are of great value. Does anybody know what's in the Dead Sea that makes it of great value? Let's pick it on Loy here again. Okay, the minerals of the Dead Sea, and anybody specific on this? Phosphates, potash, magnesium, yes. The minerals of the Dead Sea make it one of, one of the world's most valuable uh, spots. And so some will say perhaps they're coming uh, to take the value of the Dead Sea. Have, has anyone ever heard any other speculations about why Israel, what kind of value is in Israel? Yes, Steve? 2.22 trillion cubic feet of natural gas in Haifa. Okay, say that again. 6.22 trillion cubic feet of natural gas in Haifa. Okay, and that's where we're going to be coming this evening. Um, I think it was Dr. Walvard who years ago, probably 30 years ago now, um, wrote a book under the title... Um, the Middle East and oil, or Israel oil, Middle East, something like that in the title. I see Kevin's shaking his hand, head. And we're going to go to that as a possibility tonight. But we're saying this is a possibility that's scripturally based. And it could be things that we don't know, but we do know this. The text says the northern army's coming down to take a spoil. That much we know. And the declaration of those persecutors is, is clear. They're coming, letting it be known that they want to come they will say, I'm going to this land of unwalled villages. For generations, such declarations seem strange. Why would anybody want to go to the land of camels and dust? I mean, there's nothing there. Uh, that's how the world thought about this land called Israel. For generations, uh, Israel wasn't even there themselves. But this passage speaks of the people being regathered and the people being valuable. Valuable enough for the kings of the north, to want to come down. And I mentioned last week, this particular fellow, because he's been the leader of a focus group in Russia, he's part of what the Russians would call their parliament, Vladimir Zernovsky. Zernovsky has made a, a coalition around the thought that if we're going to be who we ought to be as a people, we have to have north-south trading routes. His theory is America is wealthy because we can trade to the north and to the south, although trade to the north right now is not too easy if you want to use the highways. But north and south trading has indeed made us a wealthy country. And so his recommendation or his thought is we, we're, you know, the Russian people, uh, when it comes to uh, natural rivers and waterways, not so much. Uh, but if they can have 
uh, that north-south trading route, uh, his theory would be that they would be wealthy. And of course, then you have the people in Iran, most notably about 20 years ago, when they elected this particular president, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, you have to say it with one breath or you can't get it all out. Ahmadinejad, uh, he was saying the Zionist regime is headed toward annihilation and famously said his goal would be to push Israel into the sea. This passage tells us not only why they come, but when they come. Oh, Pastor Phelps, are you going to set a date for us tonight? Not quite, but this passage does tell us a lot about when they're going to come. There are two prerequisites to their coming that are in this passage. First, it needs to be a time when Israel's at peace. When Israel's at peace. We read of that in verse 8. After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years, speaking to Israel. Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which has always been waste, but is brought forth out of all the nations. They will come and dwell safely, all of them. It's a time that looks like Israel is at peace. Verse 11, and thou shalt say, this is the king of the north, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest. So when will this northern army come? When Israel's back in the land and when it looks like they've got a measure of peace in the land. Today, Israel's building walls all around Israel. We mentioned this last time we met. There are walls. Walls are erected to keep the Palestinian aggressors out to keep Hamas at bay. There are all kinds of walls, some electronic and some old-fashioned, uh, brick and mortar. But land, it's a land of walls today, but one day, uh, the Bible tells us, Israel will break down the walls. They will be at peace. So when would that day be? Those who have considered biblical prophecy, when will Israel finally feel like they can breathe? <sighs> I've got these folks down front that are answering everything this evening, but that's great. Uh, yeah, same, same answer. Johnny and Steve agree on this. Uh, when, when the Antichrist establish, establishes peace. So in Revelation chapter 6, the Bible tells us of one who comes on a white horse having a bow without an arrow. He comes to conquer the white horse representing victory the bow without an arrow, representing victory without bloodshed. And Daniel chapter 9 tells us very specifically and very clearly about this peace treaty. In the 27th verse of Daniel chapter 9, the Bible says that the Antichrist will enter into a covenant with Israel for seven years. Daniel 9 speaks of it as one week or seven years. So when do we believe that Israel will be looking like they're finally at peace and tearing down the walls? Well, it sure looks like at the very beginning of the tribulation, that seven-year period of time that will bring horror upon the earth. Not only must Israel be at peace, but they need to be prospering. They need to have prosperity. Back in Ezekiel 36 and verse 11, God has promised, I will multiply upon you man and beast. They will increase and bring fruit, and I will settle you upon your old estates, and will do better unto you than at your beginnings so that you'll know that I'm the Lord. It's interesting, Ezekiel 36 and verse 11, I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. I was talking to Ed Miller after the last session on this topic, and Ed served in a kibbutz for six months when he was young, 
And uh, today, it's a marvelous thing to realize that the number one fruit exporter, especially to Europe, is Israel. Israel's the number one banana exporter in the world. And the deserts have indeed blossomed as a rose. Well, the Bible speaks about a time of prosperity. The state of Israel uh, needs to be prospering. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Ezekiel says in chapter 35 and verse 1, and then describes this national state of seeming blessing. And so you'll note the nation of Israel is one of the economic marvels of the modern times. In 1948, the nation of Israel had a population of 806,000. By 2005, the population was 7 million. In 1948, Israel had no international citrus market. By the 60s, Jaffa's oranges became world famous. And by the 80s, Israel's citrus exports hit a billion dollars. In the first three decades of her existence, Israel's agricultural exports increased 4,000%. And 40% of Israel's vegetables and field crops were grown in desert regions. Isn't that interesting? Agriculture is now in excess of $3.3 billion a year business in Israel. The Bible tells us when the state of Israel is prospering, look out. And not only the state of Israel, the scriptures tell us that Israel is prospering. Israel is a state, lets us know nationally there's prosperity, and the scriptures predict a time of amazing prosperity. You will say, I'll go up to the land of unwalled villages, verse 11, to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, to them that are dwelling without bars. The scriptures predict a time of amazing prosperity. So now we're going to go back to the question. We're going to fill in some blanks here tonight. So what is the spoil? Well, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to these passages. I'm just going to highlight from them, and you can fill in some of the blanks here and see if you'd like to agree with this line of thinking. What's the potential spoil? Genesis 49 and verse 1. He speaks of that which will befall you in the last days, speaking to the children of Jacob. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which will befall you in the last days. And then we come to the 25th verse. Even by the Lord your Father, who shall help you, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under Blessings of the breast and the womb, blessings of thy father that have prevailed, blessings of my progenitors. Well, if you're talking about the deep that lies under, you've got the land mass of Israel, you've got the Mediterranean coast of Israel, you've got the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. So take your choice. We mentioned the Dead Sea, but when you go further, uh, in Deuteronomy, the 33rd chapter, in the 13th verse, Moses reminds the son of, sons of Joseph, speaking to that same group, blessed of the Lord be his hand for the deep that coucheth beneath. The blessing to Joseph is coming from the deep that coucheth beneath. Go with me to, to Deuteronomy, the 33rd chapter. Deuteronomy 33. We just cited the 13th verse, and we want to look also at the 19th verse and the 24th verse. Deuteronomy 33, as Moses is speaking, Deuteronomy 33, 
and verse 13. And of Joseph, he said, speaking of the words of Jacob, blessed of the Lord be his land for the precious things of heaven, for the dew and for the deep that coucheth beneath. The 19th verse, same chapter. They shall call the people unto the mountain. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall suck of the abundance of the seas and of the treasures hid in the sand. 24th verse. And of Asher, he said, let Asher be blessed with children. Let him be acceptable to his brethren. and Let him dip his foot in oil. <laughs> now, is that tar? Is that is Jethro, Bode, or Jethro Clampett? Was it Jethro? No. Yeah. Yeah. That's his son. Oh, Jed, thank you. It's been a long time since I rehearsed that tune in my mind. I've got to put that back, right? Texas tea, right? Okay. So some would say, no, this is just talking about the abundance of oil, which is also always a, a symbol of great wealth. But Isaiah 45 and verse 3 says that God knows how to give to his people the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of the secret places. I appreciate uh, Mike's reference this evening to the natural gas. Some have taken these passages, especially in the last 20 years. There was an oil company that was started called Zion Oil Company. And you can Google and look it up. They've continued to find what they never thought possible, which is indeed not only natural gas, but oil deposits in the land of Israel. Um, is that the treasure being spoken of? Lots of people say yes, and it's interesting even right now, again, if you're following in the news, that the Russia to Germany pipeline is something of uh, special importance. Uh, there are all kinds of things that are happening that would cause us geopolitically to say that Russia is trying to align itself into a way where prosperity comes. Now, Russia's in a very unusual spot between China and the rest of Europe. And that unusual spot, fighting for dominance and fighting for uh, ongoing strength, this passage fits in. Now, the next time we'll meet, uh, we'll talk about what God does to intervene. But the surprise of Israel's prosperity uh, ought to capture our attention today. Israel is an advancing economy beyond what anyone would have imagined. Israel's growing wealth, the organization of economic Cooperation and development shows the line of this organizational, and by the way, America is part of this organization. The typical accumulated GOP or gross domestic product growth of those nations aligned in the organization of economic cooperation and development, Israel's breaking the scale every year. Uh, there's no economy uh, recently as diverse. Uh, and is strong. I think I told you last time we met when I said to our host the last time we were in Israel, so how much of your economy depends on tourism? And he said, oh, it's not much at all. I said, really? Oh, he said, compared to, uh, uh, compared to how we're doing electronically with electronic advancements and scientifically with uh, everything, everything scientific from computer advancement to um, medical advancement uh, to agriculture. Uh, he said, tourism, it's big, but it's nothing. It's nothing as compared. And those of you who know, whether it be the diamond industry or anything having to do with advancement in science and education, Israel's the place to be. 
So when we look at Ezekiel 38 and ask, what would cause Russia to go south? Well, they're coming for a spoil. And the next time we meet, we'll talk about what happens to them when they come in the end of time. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.